Section 14 of The Idea of Progress by J. B. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. The Year 2440. 1. The leaders of thought in France did not look far forward into the future, or attempt to trace the definite lines on which the human race might be expected to develop. They contented themselves with principles and vague generalities, and they had no illusions as to the slowness of the process of social amelioration. A rational morality, the condition of improvement, was only in its infancy. A passage in a work of the Abbé Morellet probably reflects faithfully enough the comfortable though not extravagant optimism which was current. Quote, Let us hope for the amelioration of man's lot as a consequence of the progress of the Enlightenment, des Lumières, and labors of the educated, des gens instruits. Let us trust that the errors and even the injustices of our age may not rob us of this consoling hope. The history of society presents a continuous alternation of light and darkness, reason and extravagance, humanity and barbarism. But in the succession of ages we can observe good gradually increasing in ever greater proportion. What educated man, if he is not a misanthrope or misled by vain declamations, would really wish he had lived in the barbarous and poetical time which Homer paints in such fair and terrifying colors? Who regrets that he was not born at Sparta, among those pretended heroes who made it a virtue to insult nature, practice theft, and gloried in the murder of a helot? Or at Carthage, the scene of human sacrifices? Or at Rome, amid the proscriptions or under the rule of a Nero or a Caligula? Let us agree that man advances, though slowly, towards light and happiness. But though the most influential writers were sober in speculating about the future, it is significant of their effectiveness in diffusing the idea of progress that now for the first time a prophetic utopia was constructed. Hitherto, as I have before observed, ideal states were either projected into the remote past or set in some distant, vaguely known region where fancy could build freely. To project them into the future was a new thing, and when, in 1770, Sébastien Mercier described what human civilization would be in A.D. 2440, it was a telling sign of the power which the idea of progress was beginning to exercise. 2. Mercier has been remembered, or rather forgotten, as an inferior dramatist. He was a good deal more, and the researches of M. Beclar into his life and works enable us to appreciate him. If it is an overstatement to say that his soul reflected in miniature the very soul of his age, he was assuredly one of its characteristic products. He reminds us in some ways of the Abbé de Saint-Pierre, who was one of his heroes. All his activities were urged by the dream of a humanity regenerated by reason, all his energy devoted to bringing about its accomplishment. Saint-Pierre's idea of perpetual peace inspired an early essay on the scourge of war. The theories of Rousseau exercised at first an irresistible attraction, but modern civilization had too strong a hold on him. He was too Parisian in temper to acquiesce for long in the doctrine of Arcadianism. He composed a book on The Savage, to illustrate the text that the true standard of morality is the heart of primitive man, and to prove that the best thing we could do is to return to the forest. But in the process of writing it, he seems to have come to the conclusion that the whole doctrine was fallacious. The transformation of his opinions was the work of a few months. He then came forward with the opposite thesis that all events have been ordered for man's felicity, and he began to work on an imaginary picture of the state to which man might find his way within seven hundred years. L'An Vincatre Quarante was published anonymously at Amsterdam in 1770. Its circulation in France was rigorously forbidden because it implied a merciless criticism of the administration. It was reprinted in London and Neuchâtel 
and translated into English and German. 3. As the motto of his prophetic vision, Mercier takes the saying of Leibniz that the present is pregnant of the future. Thus, the phase of civilization which he imagines is proposed as the outcome of the natural and inevitable march of history. The world of A.D. 2440, in which a man born in the 18th century, who has slept an enchanted sleep, awakes to find himself, is composed of nations who live in a family concord rarely interrupted by war. But of the world at large we hear little. The imagination of Mercier is concentrated on France, and particularly Paris. He is satisfied with knowing that slavery has been abolished, that the rivalry of France and England has been replaced by an indestructible alliance, that the Pope, whose authority is still august, has renounced his errors and returned to the customs of the primitive church, that French plays are performed in China. The changes in Paris are a sufficient index of the general transformation. The constitution of France is still monarchical. Its population has increased by one half, that of the capital remains about the same. Paris has been rebuilt on a scientific plan. Its sanitary arrangements have been brought to perfection, it is well lit, and every provision has been made for the public safety. Private hospitality is so large that inns have disappeared, but luxury at table is considered a revolting crime. Tea, coffee, and tobacco are no longer imported. There is no system of credit. Everything is paid for in ready money, and this practice has led to a remarkable simplicity in dress. Marriages are contracted only through mutual inclination. Dowries have been abolished. Education is governed by the ideas of Rousseau, and is directed, in a narrow spirit, to the promotion of morality. Italian, German, English, and Spanish are taught in schools, but the study of the classical languages has disappeared. Latin does not help a man to virtue. History, too, is neglected and discouraged, for it is the disgrace of humanity, every page being crowded with crimes and follies. Theatres are government institutions, and have become the public schools of civic duties and morality. The literary records of the past had been almost all deliberately destroyed by fire. It was found expedient to do away with useless and pernicious books, which only obscured truth or contained perpetual repetitions of the same thing. A small closet in the public library sufficed to hold the ancient books which were permitted to escape the conflagration, and the majority of these were English. The writings of the Abbé de Saint-Pierre were placed next to those of Fénelon. Quote, his pen was weak, but his heart was sublime. Seven ages have given to his great and beautiful ideas a just maturity. His contemporaries regarded him as a visionary. His dreams, however, have become realities. The importance of men of letters as a social force was a favorite theme of Mercier, and in A.D. 2440 this will be duly recognized. But the state control which weighed upon them so heavily in 1770 is not to be entirely abolished. There is no preventive censorship to hinder publication, but there are censors. There are no fines or imprisonment, but there are admonitions and if anyone publishes a book defending principles which are considered dangerous, he is obliged to go about in a black mask. There is a state religion, deism. There is probably no one who does not believe in God. But if any atheist were discovered, he would be put through a course of experimental physics. If he remained obdurate in his rejection of a palpable and salutary truth, the nation would go into mourning and banish him from its borders. Everyone has to work, but labor no longer resembles slavery. As there are no monks, nor numerous domestics, nor useless valets, nor workmen employed on the production of childish luxuries, a few daily hours of labor are sufficient for the public wants. Censors inquire into men's capacities, assign tasks to the unemployed, 
and if a man be found fit for nothing but the consumption of food, he is banished from the city. These are some of the leading features of the ideal future to which Mercier's imagination reached. He did not put it forward as a final term. Later ages, he said, will go further, for, quote, where can the perfectibility of man stop, armed with geometry and the mechanical arts and chemistry, close quote. But in his scanty prophecies of what science might effect, he showed curiously little resource. The truth is that this had not much interest for him, and he did not see that scientific discoveries might transmute social conditions. The world of 2440, its intolerably docile and virtuous society, reflects two capital weaknesses in the speculation of the encyclopedist period, a failure to allow for the strength of human passions and interests, and a deficient appreciation of the meaning of liberty. Much as the reformers acclaimed and fought for toleration, they did not generally comprehend the value of the principle. They did not see that in a society organized and governed by reason and justice themselves, the unreserved toleration of false opinions would be the only palladium of progress, or that a doctrinaire state, composed of perfectly virtuous and deferential people, would arrest development and stifle originality by its ungenial, if mild, tyranny. Mercier's is no exception to the rule that ideal societies are always repellent, and there are probably few who would not rather be set down in Athens in the days of the vile Aristophanes, whose works Mercier condemned to the flames, than in his Paris of 2440. 4. That bohemian man of letters, Restif de la Bretonne, whose unedifying novels the Parisians of 2440 would assuredly have rejected from their libraries, published in 1790 a heroic comedy representing how marriages would be arranged in the year 2000, by which epoch he conceived that all social equalities would have disappeared in a fraternal society, and twenty nations be allied to France under the wise supremacy of our well-beloved monarch Louis-François XXII. It was the revolution that converted Restif to the conception of progress, for hitherto his master had been Rousseau, but it can hardly be doubted that the motif and title of his play were suggested by the romance of Mercier. L'an 2440 and L'an 2000 are the first examples of the prophetic fiction which Mr. Edward Bellamy's Looking Backward was to popularize a hundred years later. The Count de Volney's Ruins was another popular presentation of the hopes which the theory of progress had awakened in France. Although the work was not published till after the outbreak of the Revolution, the plan had been conceived some years before. Volney was a traveler, deeply interested in Oriental and classical antiquities, and, like Louis Le Roy, he approached the problem of man's destinies from the point of view of a student of the revolutions of empires. The book opens with melancholy reflections amid the ruins of Palmyra. Quote, thus perish the works of men, and thus do nations and empires vanish away. Who can assure us that desolation like this will not one day be the lot of our own country? Close quote. Some traveler like himself will sit by the banks of the Seine, the Thames, or the Zuyderzee, amid silent ruins, and weep for a people inurned and their greatness changed into an empty name. Has a mysterious deity pronounced a secret malediction against the earth? In this disconsolate mood he is visited by an apparition, who unveils the causes of men's misfortunes, and shows that they are due to themselves. Man is governed by natural, invariable laws, and he has only to study them to know the springs of his destiny, the causes of his evils and their remedies. The laws of his nature are self-love, desire of happiness, and aversion to pain. These are the simple and prolific principles of everything that happens in the moral world. Man is the artificer of his own fate. He may lament his weakness and folly, but, quote, 
he has perhaps still more reason to be confident in his energies when he recollects from what point he has set out and to what heights he has been capable of elevating himself. Close quote. The supernatural visitant paints a rather rosy picture of the ancient Egyptian and Assyrian kingdoms, but it would be a mistake to infer from their superficial splendor that the inhabitants generally were wise or happy. The tendency of man to ascribe perfection to past epochs is merely the discoloration of his chagrin. The race is not degenerating. Its misfortunes are due to ignorance and the misdirection of self-love. Two principal obstacles to improvement have been the difficulty of transmitting ideas from age to age, and that of communicating them rapidly from man to man. These have been removed by the invention of printing. The press is a memorable gift of celestial genius. In time, all men will come to understand the principles of individual happiness and public felicity. Then there will be established among the peoples of the earth an equilibrium of forces. There will be no more wars, disputes will be decided by arbitration, and, quote, the whole species will become one great society, a single family governed by the same spirit and by common laws, enjoying all the felicity of which human nature is capable. Close quote. The accomplishment of this will be a slow process, since the same leaven will have to assimilate an enormous mass of heterogeneous elements, but its operation will be effectual. Here the genius interrupts his prophecy and exclaims, turning toward the West, quote, the cry of liberty uttered on the farther shores of the Atlantic has reached to the old continent. A prodigious movement is then visible to their eyes in a country at the extremity of the Mediterranean. Tyrants are overthrown, legislators elected, a code of laws is drafted on the principles of equality, liberty, and justice. The liberated nation is attacked by neighboring tyrants, but her legislators propose to the other peoples to hold a general assembly representing the whole world and weigh every religious system in the balance. The proceedings of this Congress follow, and the book breaks off incomplete. It is not an arresting book. To a reader of the present day, it is positively tedious. But it suited contemporary taste, and, appearing when France was confident that her revolution would renovate the earth, it appealed to the hopes and sentiments of the movement. It made no contribution to the doctrine of progress, but it undoubtedly helped to popularize it. End of section 14